Welcome to the U-Turn Podcast. This is the place to connect to who you truly are. We're bringing PhDs, experts, and leaders to help you elevate your mindset in your work life and in your love life so that you can see things differently and truly love your world. I'm Ashley Stahl. I'm a career expert, author, and TEDx speechwriter and booker, and I'm excited to bring you in to this week's episode. Okay, you turn friends. I know you love the love category. And I personally, you've heard me over the past six, seven years, look for love, date, find love, lose love, find love. And I just thought, who better to bring on the show than Jeff Gunther? Did I pronounce that correctly, by the way? You did. Very good. I'm hey. proud of you. <laughs> Jeff Gunther. Okay, so he got his master's in marriage and family therapy from USC in California, and he also has his bachelor's in child and family development from San Diego State. So obviously, he has his own private practice. He has some incredible content that you can sign up over on Patreon. He has a podcast that is so worth checking out. And what I love the most that he's doing is on his Instagram at Therapy Jeff, you can find really quick, really sharp reels. And one thing you don't know, Jeff, is that I actually created a course on how to launch a podcast called the Pod Launch Academy. And we used you as a reference of someone doing a good job creating good hooks on social media. So Without further ado, I figured we could talk today about love and green flags versus red mm. flags. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me here. I am an expert at hooks. I know how to hook you in the oh, first two seconds. This is, and, But it's, it's something that I've developed over time. I've been trying to hook people like content-wise mm -hmm. for 10 years or so. Okay. Because I was going to say, I don't know a lot of people who are therapists because they're such a wholesome Thing sure. to not to say that having a hook makes you not wholesome, but right. I feel like in the world of digital marketing, there's so much dark human psychology sometimes we need to use to make mm -hmm. the hook. So it's pretty impressive that, and those of you who check out his Instagram, you'll see a lot of reels like green flags, red flags, different stuff about attachment styles, different stuff about things that are actually red flags that you thought were green. I mean, it's just really <laughs> cool stuff, really hooky. So I have to start here. What got, I know that, you know, when you're a therapist, you can talk about anything. So what made you want to focus on love? I didn't at first, actually. When I first became a therapist, almost 19 years ago, so almost 20 years ago, I'm so old. I originally went into, I got my degree in marriage and family therapy, and I wanted to see kids and families. Mm -hmm. And so I started seeing kids and families. And also I taught parenting classes. I was a baby. I was 24 years old. I thought I knew everything, teaching parenting classes. I didn't have any kids. I still don't have any kids. And so I did most, I worked in middle schools and I did family therapy and I started to really not enjoy the parents that I was working with. I don't think they really enjoyed me either. So uh, I was having, it's one of those things, I think when you first become a therapist, you start to learn which clients that maybe you shouldn't work with yet because it's bringing up your own stuff. Yeah. And so I was frustrated with the parents, but I also had to work on my own stuff with my own parents. And it was coming up through these sessions being a therapist. So I stopped working with parents because I was getting so triggered working with them. And I just started to see people that were like my own age. I was still in my 20s and I was only seeing individuals and couples. And those individuals and couples 
came in with a lot of like love questions and relationship stuff and anxious attachment and am I codependent? They also had this sort of existential stuff going on. What is my meaning? What is my purpose? I thought that my life would look different at 30 years old. How do I, what should I do now sort of thing? So I started to focus on more relationship stuff just because my clients were coming in with relationship stuff. Mm. And that got me like uh, extra focused on it. And I saw lots of couples and it's so fun doing couples counseling. It's not boring. Like with individual, yeah, with individual therapy, it's great. It's engaging. But with couples counseling, like there's shit going on all over the place and you have to keep track of everything that's happening. But I made a rule for myself that I was only going to see couples that were still in love. (laughs) Ah. Yeah, because there's, as a therapist, as you might imagine, like you're going to attract a lot of couples that have fallen out of love or haven't had sex for 10 years or don't talk to each other anymore. And I was just like, ugh, bad vibes. Get out of here. How do you know? Are you allowed to say no as a therapist? I mean, you're allowed to do anything, but how do you gracefully do that? I feel like there's so many guidelines. Yeah, ethically, actually, you do need to refer clients out if you feel like you're not a good fit for them. So a lot of times when I would like screen for those couples, when they were like emailing me or calling me, I'd ask them how long they'd been together. And if they're sort of newly together, dating, about to get married, then I'd be like, okay, you can come on in and you can have fights in front of me because those will be like fun fights because you still (laughs) love each other instead of the fights that you've been having for the last 25 years. I've since been able to see couples that are have been together for a very long time, but I used to limit it to only the like really new ones. That's really cool that you're that honest. And I think it's so important for me, even as a personal development professional of any sort, it's we got to take care of our human in us as well, like not yeah. now. Okay, so many questions about green flags, red flags. And this is for people who are choosing someone or who are in a partnership because arguably we're freaking choosing somebody every day, aren't we? Like whether we, sure. you know, like Byron Katie says, you know, I love yes. you till I don't. Like <laughs> green flags, I was looking at one of your reels. You were talking about taking feedback or accepting influence. And I had read a study that one of the top predictors of divorce is that the couple won't accept influence from each other. Can you talk a little bit about what does it really look like to be able to take feedback or accept influence? Because I think that term is really interesting specifically. Yeah, we can actually, you can look at it in a way, there's secure attachment and then there's insecure attachment if you just want to get really binary about it. So the insecure attachment, we also maybe call them like avoidance or anxiously attached or disorganized attachment style. But if you want to break it down, it's just secure and insecure. And if you're in a secure relationship, when something goes wrong or there's trouble or something, what happens in that relationship is you're like, oh no, something's gone wrong. We need to change together. We need to adjust the system. What are we going to do so that we're both happy or so that we both can compromise? I am open to being influenced by you. You need me to love you in a different way that I typically don't love. Okay, I'm going to try to do that. You need me to meet a need that I'm not meeting for you. I'm going to do that because we're in a secure attachment together and the system is going to adjust in order for everyone to be happy. But if you're insecurely attached, a lot of times what happens if something goes wrong 
is that there's a problem. It comes up. You're like, oh no, something's wrong. And you're like, okay, this is how you can meet my needs and good luck meeting your own. <laughs> and Tell then me more about what that means. Good luck meeting your own. What do you, how does that look? I feel yeah. like there's a lot of pa- paradoxes and power struggles. And I'm guessing that's maybe an insecure attachment thing. Maybe secure mm-hmm. people work out their issues and so they don't have a power struggle. I'm not sure what your take would be on that. There's still probably some power struggles, but the way that you communicate them and the way that you like are open, like we're like the, your original question of how do you get influenced and how do you accept feedback? If you're in a secure attachment and you're and you have good, healthy, loving communication, then you're not too afraid of letting your partner know what you want them to do or what you need from them in order to meet your needs. So you're not going to feel like, oh, now I'm going to bother them or I'm going to feel really guilty if I ask for what I want. If you're having like some abandonment issues and you go to a party, you might be like, hey, babe, I am going to feel abandoned and neglected or rejected if you leave me at this party. I want you to stick by my side. And then your partner's just like, hey, I was planning on like really roaming around and talking to all the different people, my friends, but you need me to be closer to you. I'm going to accept that influence. I'm not going to resent you for it. And instead, I'm going to stay stuck to you and I'm going to bring you around all my friends so that I can meet my needs and we can also meet your needs. So there's just this little natural compromise that happens. And what was your what was the question you just asked? Because I went back to the original one. You you got my brain moving. We talked about taking feedback, accepting influence. We also talked about like power struggles briefly, which for those who are listening, maybe you don't know what a power struggle is. I got in a power struggle in my own relationship recently, and it looked like this. He wasn't feeling like I was listening to him. Mm-hmm. And because of that, he wasn't as loving, right? If you don't feel like somebody's listening to you, you're not going to be that affectionate or verbally sweet. Sure. I didn't want to listen to him because he wasn't being very loving. So he was like, I'm not going to love on you because you're not listening to me. And I was like, I'm not going to listen to you because you're not loving on me. Yeah. So I feel like those are that's a power struggle and people get into them all the time. So those of you who are listening may be wondering what that even means. And it's a paradox, right? Because usually the paradox looks like maybe leaning in and saying, even though I don't feel like you're loving me, I'm going to listen to you. And the other person saying, even though I don't feel like you're listening to me, I'm going to love on you. That's how you break free of the power struggle. There's a lot of influence accepted. There's a lot of surrendering there. So can you talk a little bit about power struggles and how that those might show up in people's attachments and maybe... Mm-hmm be representative of not accepting influence. Yeah. I think that a lot of times the power struggles come from your childhood, typically. I mean, you can pick them up along the way, definitely, through your relationship history. But a lot of times there was a power struggle in your childhood and you felt like you were powerless or helpless or you didn't have much influence or you didn't feel seen or loved or paid attention to. And so you had to figure out like how to get attention in the family or from your parents or with your sibling. So it's usually like a skill there, a skill, like air quotes. It's something that you pick up when you're younger and then you continue to apply it into your adult relationships. So like we learned that there was power struggles in love and intimacy when you were younger because your first intimate relationships are with your family or caregivers. A lot of times it happens also with your siblings, like you and your siblings are competing for attention from your parents. And so then there's a power struggle between you and your siblings. And so you're smirking at something. Yeah, I have. I had I used to have three siblings. I have two now. But yeah, yeah, I I know it all too well. Yeah. So so there's 
So a lot of times, like the conflict, the first way we develop like conflict resolution skills is through our siblings, because those are our peers. Those are the ones that we're like sharing things with or not wanting to share or spending time with or wanting to play with. And so you develop these sort of like power struggles, whatever works for you in your childhood with your siblings. And then you take that into your adult relationships and typically romantic relationships. And there's sort of like a punishing that's going on. So you have the power. I'm going to punish you. I'm going to be passive aggressive. or I'm not going to give you what you need. You're not giving me what I need. So I'm not going to give you. You You hurt me. I'm going to hurt you more. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that is more of like an insecure attachment, which most of us are insecurely attached because ugh, only the few are securely attached and they're already coupled They're all up, married probably. forever. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they're not in the dating sure. scene. Uh, yeah. So it usually shows up because you learned it with your family or you learned it with your siblings. There's a sort of passive aggressive punishing thing that happens. And the trick is, like you're kind of saying is, First, you all have to notice it. You have to be thoughtful and you have to be mindful and aware of that it's happening. And you have to know that there's this part inside of you that wants to play in this like game, in this power struggle, because there's something satisfying. You want to win. So it's the cliche thing that a lot of therapists say, would you rather win or would you rather be right or would you rather be connected? That's what I say to my couples all the time. Would you rather be right or would you rather be connected? Because if you want to be right and try to prove the other person wrong, like I'll sit here with some popcorn and watch this. This is fantastic. I love to see it. But you're not going to actually feel connected and loving. And you have to remember that it's also has to do sort of with, I don't know, living in like a capitalistic society. Like in order to succeed in capitalism, you have to be better than the other person. You have to get hired over the other person. You have to be always excelling and making sure that everyone is worse than you. And then so you can get promoted. And then we go into our relationships and we use that same sort of capitalistic mindset, which doesn't work. Do you know what's so interesting in my master's in spiritual psychology, the head of the program, and I've said this before, he said relationships are not built on efficiency. And Mm -hmm. I feel like the business world is built sometimes on it, like maximizing your time, maximizing your dollar. And it's so interesting. I, in my business, I have been kind of a slow simmer recovering from burnout. And I finally got my energy back after a really long time. And I've been really excited about it. I have this new offer. I've been writing TED Talks and booking people on stage for them. And we, I booked 39 out of 40 people last year Whoa. of the ones there, which was amazing. so cool. Yeah. Very amazing. Very exciting. And it's interesting because I just started kind of because I got my energy back like talking to owners of PR firms, like talking about this is the offer and it's a high-end offer, high touch, blah, blah, blah. And it was jarring just yesterday getting off of a call. Someone, I guess it's a sales strategy or a business strategy where they talk really fast to get you to agree to something really Mm -hmm. fast Mm -hmm. and you need a second to think about it. And the person pretty much wanted 50% of my profits per referral. But wow. she, it was just the referral. And I, I felt so, whoa, there's so much masculine doing shark also energy in business mm-hmm. sometimes. And my feminine energy, it took a while to come back online because it, and so I think a lot of people, it's we learn to be more like wounded masculine, like aggressive to get our needs met. And I know in my family system, like being punitive, like I'm going to remove myself from this and that's going to make the statement because you're not going to see me or hear me unless I make a big action. Yeah. And these play on our relationships. So for people who you touched on something really interesting was love languages. 
you talked about, you know, accepting influence and maybe you don't know how to love this person this way. Usually, you know, if people have different love languages, which is, you know, happens, it might come up on an edge for someone, right? For example, I can imagine somebody listening, their love language is words and maybe their partner is like the whole list of everything they could have ever dreamed of, a very grounding person, a very, but they're an introvert and words are so hard for them. Maybe they're super affectionate or maybe it's vice versa. The person wants Mm -hmm. affection and physical touch. But what would be your feedback on that? Because I do think sometimes it doesn't want to be a power struggle, but the other person's like working on giving the other person something that is like so hard for them to know how to give. Mm -hmm. That's a tough one. And it's also a really common one. right? Right. We all have our separate love languages. And oftentimes, too, like we want to be loved in a certain way and then show love in a different way. So first, going ahead and just like educating yourself on what the love languages are is a really good thing to do. So you're already naming them. There's words of affirmation, there's physical touch, there's gift giving, there's acts of service, and there's quality time. Which one's yours? Mine is words. Words, yeah. Words are great. Yours is words, too. I love words and quality time. Quality Mm -hmm. time is my second, too, or my first. Acts of service fucking sucks. My God. <laughs> I can't stand acts. I can't. And that's the thing is that I know that I'm not good at doing acts of service. And also if somebody, I was married to somebody for eight years who she showed love through acts of service. And she was like, look, I'm picking doing up the, the groceries. I'm doing yeah. the laundry. I'm doing, I'm like uh, walking our dog or whatever. And I'm just like, that's fantastic. And I have so much gratitude and appreciation for that. I don't feel loved by you. I don't feel like you're in love. This doesn't feel romantic to me. I don't feel closer to you because like you're doing these things or we're doing these chores or something. So first, educating yourself and really understanding it is important. But then like in my case, so she would like primarily show love through acts of service. So I had to start to train myself like we were sort of talking about at the beginning, allowing myself to be influenced. Oh, look at her. She's being so loving. What she is doing is loving. That must mean that she loves me. And I'm going to try to like see it that way and let that in. I'm also telling her that my love language is words of affirmation, which is not something that she's naturally good at. So she's going to try too. And we're never really going to be able to be loved in the exact way that we probably want to be loved. That's true for any relationship. But specifically for love languages, if we're on different ends of the spectrum or something. So we have to give the person the benefit of the doubt, learn to accept love in a different way, and know that you're not going to get all of your love needs met. And there's Okay, this is a really good one to put a pin in here because I feel Mm -hmm. like, I feel so corporate saying put a pin in. I feel like, (laughs) what are the things that corporate people like? Let me run that up the flagpole. Like, (laughs) let me put a pin in it. But I mean, honestly, it feels like I love what you just said, because I think there's some people listening that maybe they're insecurely attached and it gives them anxiety that their partner is genuinely struggling to love them the way they need to be loved. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you do need to end the relationship. Maybe the gap is too far. But what would be some green flags on that? Let's say John, you know, needs acts of service and Sally needs words. Yeah, I've counseled those couples yeah. dozens, hundreds of times or something. Like we've had this conversation and usually I'm asking like, okay, you have different love languages. You've been clear about your love languages. Is John actually trying? Is he yeah. trying? Because if he is, green flag, we love to see it. 
is there forward progress? Maybe not forward progress all the time. You go another thing because there's pauses, right? Exactly. There's pauses. Sometimes you forget, whatever. But overall, in general, is he trying? Is there forward progress? Can you validate that and reinforce that? Can you be like, oh my God, John, this feels so good. I love when you do this. Thank you so much. So what are you doing? Instead of just like waiting there, sitting for them to love you the right way, you need to like notice that they're trying, notice that they're making forward progress, reinforce whenever they do it, be really happy about it. And you also need to be doing the same thing. And maybe you naturally are loving them with the right love language. Is there something else that you can do in the relationship? that's meeting their need. I want you all to work towards this goal together of being better partners for each other. And that's just sort of like motivating when that happens. And then, like I was saying, so John is doing all these things. He's making forward progress. We'd love to see it. We're reinforcing him. And also we're going to accept the fact that he's probably not going to love you in exactly the way that you want. So you're going to start to, I want you to really try to take in these acts of service and see them as more loving. You know, I had a partner at one point who was so poetic and he was an art gallerist. So it was like natural for him. He would have these Mm. exhibitions with poetry he wrote on the front door. So he was so good at words and all these things. But we were both kind of kites. Like I'm I'm an air sign and I don't go by astrology too intensely, but I'm definitely very airy. Like I pursue my interests. I fly into the wind with them and I realize I need a rock. You know, Mm -hmm. and so I think a lot of people, there's a lot around opposites attract. So I think this might be seen in love languages, but also just in dynamics where people are opposites. Can you explain where that might be beneficial and where that might actually not make sense? Because I think there might be some confusion around this idea of opposites attract. Yeah. I mean, you know, I guess it's all personal for all of us, but it's funny because one of the biggest lies that I see is when you start a new relationship and you say something like, oh my God, he loves to go out all the time and I love to stay in all the time and we're going to balance each other out. Are you? Because I bet you're going to get into so many fucking fights about that. Yeah. <laughs> and it's going <laughs> and it's gonna be the thing that like probably breaks you up, not brings you together. So if you're way too far on opposite ends of the spectrum with things that you really care about, whether maybe that's like being social, you really care about that, or your political views are incredibly important to you, or something like that. If you're too far on the like opposite ends of the spectrum, then you might not be able to find some sort of middle ground compromise. So you have some choices here. So if you're if someone's really conser- conservative and the other person is really progressive, what are you going to do? Are you going to decide that you're going to talk about it in like really polite ways and you're going to have interesting conversations and if you get triggered, you're going to stop? Does that mean that you're never going to talk about it and that you're just going to accept that you have very different views of the world or political ideations and that's okay? Are you going to try to find it interesting and that's it? Or are you going to get into lots of fights and arguments about it Are you going to allow it to define you? And it's up to you. Do you feel like you need to be with somebody that's on the same side of the political spectrum? Then you should find that person. If you don't think it's that big of a deal, then that's that works for you. And I love that. But there's yeah, so there's there's opposites attract if you can influence each other in in positive ways and you can allow yourselves to grow, then great. And if you can do that in a way where it's kind of stretching you just outside your comfort zone then that's huge. You're evolving, you're growing, and that's a really good sign. But if it's make, it's, it's pushing you all the way outside into, your, not in your stretchy zone, but your like die zone of, I can't do this. This is way too far. Then you're going to end up resenting the person or having contempt or anger 
simmering underneath everything. So it's kind of a personal choice. It's a difficult one to manage. I Opposites can attract sometimes. I'm more of birds that flock together, stay together sort mm-hmm. of guy. I think there, need, there needs to be like more similarities, but not so many similarities that it's boring. Like you do want to hear about the, you know, you want to have a difference of opinion so that you can have interesting conversations. You want your person to do different things so you can hear about the different things that they're doing, even if you're not going to do them with them. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'm also thinking about relationships where maybe one person is very expressive and the other person's a little more analytical. So there's these like opposites attract in the sense where it's, wow, I'm really bad at managing money and this person is so into finance and it's almost opposing interests end up filling gaps with each other. I'm curious, do you tend to see that where it's like a very, maybe a very grounded person who's more, like I was saying, analytical and maybe more of an airy, fairy person? I don't know. I mean, I'm more, so I'm a Capricorn and Taurus rising and a Virgo moon. So I, there's Wow, very organized and leadership vibes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm all earth signs, basically. I have so much earth in my, in my chart. So I am very grounded, very anchored. And it works for me because- Yeah, I get shit done. I'm organized. I'm stubborn. But I can also act as an anchor for my clients or for my friends. So they can kind of like twirl around me, orbit around me, but I'm solid and they'll always be able to count on me and be there for them. And I typically pair up with other partners who are more airy or just a little more like sensitive or emotional or something like Like that. That's a fun balance. But if I pair up with a fellow... Capricorn, somebody who's just as grounded, then we better be more birds of a feather that flock together that have similarities because neither of us are budging on certain things. And we're just these little goats that aren't, you can't pull them anywhere. So, yeah. So there are certain factors where the opposites attract is like creates a good balance, but it depends on a lot of factors that you get to personally decide. I love that. I feel like that's so fun to not myth bust, but just take a look at these commented pieces of advice and question Mm -hmm. them. It's one of my Mm -hmm. favorite things to do. Mm -hmm. So nerdy Mm -hmm. that I'm so into that. But okay, so speaking of green flags, and I'll blow through a few of them because I know that they're maybe more straightforward. You talked about, we we talked about taking feedback, accepting influence, and we just saw me go on a half hour tangent with you because I couldn't (laughs) stop myself. But there's also another green flag you listed of being curious about their pain or their letdown grabbing things while you're out without them asking, just kind of being that nurturing presence. I love that you said teasing about arguments the next day, just showing that you can let things be light. I think a lot of relationships, they don't have good recovery bounce back from their pains, and then the pain just lingers in the relationship and seethes. You talk about number five, that they're grounding. Number six, they can emotionally validate you even if you don't agree. So we kind of talked about that. Would you rather be right or connected? Mm -hmm. Okay. So this one is where I want to go. Number seven, you know, being flirty is something that is kind of like a thing you need to keep alive. So I wanted to talk about this one because I think a lot of people, they just jump from honeymoon to honeymoon or Mm -hmm. they're in a relationship and it's harmonious and they're so bored. And like all my, some of my girlfriends are like, oh my gosh, tell me about your love life. It's so much more fun than mine. (laughs) So I don't know. Can we talk a little bit about like, how do you keep the spark alive? And what does it look like when the honeymoon kind of ends? Like just helping people maybe get more grounded. 
since you're a triple yeah. earth sign. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm a triple earth sign, but I love that hum- honeymoon period. I mean, I guess who doesn't love the honeymoon period? Yeah. It's when you're getting like a bunch of dopamine hits, you're thinking about the future, there's so much potential. A therapist calls the honeymoon period the mutual positive projection period. Which doesn't doesn't have the same ring to it, but it's it's a more it's a more accurate way to describe what's going on. You're just mutually positively projecting a bunch of things and fantasies onto your person. You're not totally seeing them for who they are, but that's okay. Like it's important to project all that positivity so that you give them the benefit of the doubt and you create a really strong, stable foundation. Because you're going to need to use that foundation, that security that you've created together, because shit's about to like go sideways once you get out of the honeymoon period. That's when you're not, yeah, that's when you're not projecting all the positivity anymore. And you're starting to look at all the like imperfections or flaws, or maybe a few of the red flags that you kind of ignored because you were feeling so Twitter pated and in love with them. So the honeymoon period typically kind of comes to the gradual end. I don't know about you, but for me, it, it usually lasts around six months. But I've heard that people can go at two years in the honeymoon period. What do you, how do you experience done that? Yeah, for me, it's usually going to end at like, I feel like around seven, eight months. It's okay. We've seen what our issues are. We've tried to navigate them. And that's the point where you're either breaking past issues and growing and connecting mm-hmm. further, or you're stuck in the same mm-hmm. issues and you're starting to get scared. That's the issues. I feel like that's exactly. what a lot of my friends and I have talked about when it comes to honeymoon. So can you help us take a look at what is going on? And is it normal to, I don't know, be sad when the honeymoon is over? And I think a lot of people want to jump. So what message would you have for people when the honeymoon's over and maybe they're bored and they want to jump. When the honeymoon is over, I think that it's important to grieve it. It fucking sucks that the honeymoon yeah. is over. <laughs> That's the worst. So if you're going to be sad or bummed, if you're going to feel like there's this loss because you're never going to feel that again with that person, and if you want to find a long-term relationship be together with someone forever, maybe that's the last honeymoon period you're ever going to experience. That is devastating. I feel like we don't acknowledge that enough, that it's okay to be sad. It doesn't mean that it's a bad sign or that you should get out of the relationship. It's just, oh no, I'm really sad. And even better if you can talk about that with your partner, that you're both grieving the fact that the honeymoon period is over. However, it is now, you now get to see each other for real. All So now you have the actual opportunity to create what a lot of therapists call integrated love. So first, when you're in the honeymoon period, it's not really integrated love. You're just loving the person no matter what, because there's so much novelty. Maybe you're also having a lot of sex that just comes naturally because you're just like, ooh, this new body, I want to devour it and learn it, and I want them to be with me, and it's like very exciting. But then when that ends or starts to fade, integrated love means that you're looking at all of the parts of them, the annoying parts, the cute parts, the, the sweet parts, the upsetting parts, the parts that make you angry, their flaws and their imperfections. And even though they have some flaws and imperfections, you still have an integrated view of who they really are and love them anyways, or love them in spite of them. Or you see their imperfections and you're like, actually, it's kind of endearing and sort of cute. So you're seeing them for who they really are. And now you have the chance to actually build real trust, not just this projected mutual positive projection stuff that you're experiencing in the honeymoon, but you can really see who they are, see if they show up for you, 
have those, you, you get to have the real fights, the real arguments, so you can see how you are, who you are, what your traumas are, work through them, and then repair. So there's a lot of like harmony in the relationship, then there's disharmony, and then there's repair. And you just do that over and over again until you die. And if you can do all those parts together pretty well, then that creates a lot of trust. And once there's a ton of trust, then you can be really adventurous. And maybe you want to be really adventurous in bed. I really trust this person more than I've ever trusted this person before. And now I can be super vulnerable or I can tell them about these fantasies that I'm kind of embarrassed about, or I can try different sexy things that I didn't feel comfortable trying with anybody else because we've built such a strong foundation. So it's actually a time to be incredibly connected and push yourself outside your comfort zone because you have somebody that you feel like you can really count on. I love that. And I feel like when you're grieving the honeymoon period, a couple of things that I've heard in just conversations with even some coaching clients in my practice is like feeling like they're not having enough fun anymore. So I do a lot of career coaching for like career pivots and the TEDx writings. That's what I'm spending all my time up to. But the career people will come to me and I just hear about their life. And a lot of them, it's, oh, my job is one thing, but even my relationship is just, we're just homebodies. Like we don't play, we don't do, and we're just here. And I, I don't know, do you have any feedback for that? Because I do think there's just a reality to being in the dailies, you know, mm-hmm. like you got morning breath, you get the newspaper, you have a routine. You know, I used to hate routines. Now I love them. They're like a mental mm-hmm. health savior for me. So can you talk to me a little bit about yeah, what I mean, those people? First of all, what was, I'm, I would ask you, why did you want to get into a relationship in the first place? If it's just to go from honeymoon to honeymoon and, and honeymoon and like lily pad over and over to different relationships and go for it. Fine. I'm not going to judge you as long as you're like being honest with yourself and the people that you're hooking up with. But you most likely got into a relationship because you wanted a long-term secure connection. And so now after the honeymoon, you're actually developing that and you're probably experiencing that. And if you're feeling a little bored, that's a really good sign. That means you're in a secure relationship. Like this is something that should be celebrated. That being said, it's important to go ahead and create novelty. And you might want to take some cues from like the love reality show, like the Bachelor, Bachelorette franchise. Like those producers know how to make people fall in love. They get those people to go like naked bungee jumping and cave diving and travel the world. Uh, You can't not fall in love with somebody when you're doing those things. The adrenaline gets pumping, the dopamine hits, you're trying all these new things with somebody that you're with. And so you get even more attached. You should do those things together. I love that you're sharing that because I think a lot of people, they get used to, I think that, you know, also life gets more challenging. Like my friends who have kids, they're like, you Mm -hmm. think love is hard now? Like, good luck when you have a kid that needs you and you don't really matter as much. And they love being mothers, but that's still their reality. So at least Mm -hmm. some of them. So how do people start to, or what are you seeing in your practice that helps people start to kind of break out of that routine, break out of that story of we don't have any time for each other anymore and kind of get into connecting? Because like you said, the Bachelor franchise is, I mean, to me, that's like a case study in human trauma responses but <laughs> it is it is yeah. yeah i you know 
basically on all those reality shows they're like trying they're like starving you or getting you drunk or something and triggering you the whole time so it's not the best role model for relationships but they do have some interesting ideas that you might want to integrate yeah i mean i just want to validate that because sometimes if especially if you have a new baby it's just we're just here for this baby we're we need to like we're, our relationship and our like romantic stuff might, or some of it or most of it might have to be put on hold. Like the primary thing that we're doing here is keeping this baby alive, trying to give it a secure foundation, being there, meeting its needs, understanding how it's communicating with us and doing whatever we can to survive. The first year after having a baby is like hands down the most stressful year of your life, probably, and but definitely of the relationship. So some stuff like, is gets put on the back burner. If you can, if you have the luxury of having a grandparent that can take the kid or babysitters or nannies or friends or siblings or cousins that can take care of that kid or take your kids out or something, it can be incredibly important in restoring for your relationship. You don't have to go out to dinner and a movie. You can just put a blanket down in your living room and have a picnic there. Like, Whatever you can possibly do, or write little love notes for each other and leave them in hidden little places that you know you'll find it. Uh, anything that you can do to make it a little magical, a little sparky again is incredibly important. But like I said, that being said, like you might not be able to do that because you have a very difficult or spirited child or whatever you want to call it. Or you have a crazy work schedule. Or you have a crazy work schedule and life is nuts and you're super stressed. So you have to roll with it, understand, dip into that secure foundation that you created in the first part of the relationship and know that you're going to get back to it when you have more time. So it's not always going to be magical and butterflies and rainbows, right? But if you can create that, if you have time, then you should, or you're going to have to tolerate the fact that it's not like that right now. Okay. I love this. It's hard to do. It is hard to do. Okay. I feel like all of us, you know, some of us are maybe very emotionally very available. Like I'm thinking of you. I don't know who you are in a relationship, but my experience of you as a therapist is you've got to be pretty emotionally available to help mm -hmm. other people process things that you've probably processed for yourself. Sure. I think a lot of people are working on that, right? Like I just watched on Netflix. I put it on the background when I was cooking too hot to handle. It was the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my life. Like just so much emotional unavailability. It was wild and, and sad. I was like, wow, these people are so scared of their feelings. Like people are so hurt. When people are working on being more emotionally available with their partner, what are some, maybe some tips you have to start opening up a little bit more? Because I do think that there's always one person in a couple, it seems, that maybe isn't as emotionally open as the other one. It's rare for me to see both of them just like pouring out at the seams with emotions. What are some tips you have maybe for the partner of someone that the other person's not very emotionally, mm -hmm. you know, as open or for the person listening who is, I struggle to, mm -hmm. to be emotionally open. Sure. Yeah. I see. I've seen a lot of these couples in my office as well. And if you want to be a little gendered or stereotypical, it's no. usually the guy. So yeah. I, I, and one of the things that I first do with these couples is, okay, so the person that's more avoidant or emotionally unavailable, why are you like that? I'm going to do like an individual therapy session in front of your partner so that we can understand why you are the way you are. And typically, you're that way because 
you grew up in a family where everything was overwhelming, like emotionally overwhelming. And so you learned in order to survive that, you had to cut off, like just sort of cut off from yourself and try to avoid everything because it was just too much to take. Or it's the other way around. And there was just your parents or your father role modeled that they're not going to be emotionally open. They're very closed off. And so it's like, oh, I guess this is what's going on. <laughs> like uh, Nobody's going to be emotional. I never learned how to process my emotions and that's what's going on. And so if you can understand why your partner, your closed off partner is the way they are, then there's probably like a sad story there. So I'm first trying to get the the partner that's more emotionally open to be more compassionate towards the avoidant one, because it's so easy for us to vilify that guy, to be like, come the fuck on. What is wrong with you? Just yeah. try. You're the problem. Yeah. And yeah, maybe they are causing a lot of the problems because they don't know how to open up. But that was because of it was a survival mechanism that they learned in their family when they were a kid in order to get through. So it's almost, let's pay attention. Think of like their their child self or their inner child. Oh, that little four-year-old boy wanted love and attention, but they he didn't get it because his, his parents weren't there for him. That's so sad. How can we give it to him? And then all of a sudden, it's, you feel a little bit warmer. And now the avoidant, who's been told their whole life, there's something wrong with you. Why aren't you opening up? You can't. You are like emotionally not intelligent. Like They feel shame about it. Hopefully <laughs> they feel like there's, they feel bad about it or they feel yeah. guilty about it. And if yeah. they do feel bad about it, then that's something for me to use in the session. I'm just like, oh, you really do want to grow and look at that. So first it's understanding their story, why they are the way they are, trying to be a little bit more warm. They're always the villain, understanding that. Also, I don't know, America, capitalism, a lot of times there's these stories of rewarding people that are not emotional, that are more logical and rational, right? Like our system rewards those people, they get paid the most or something, or like they can live on an island. They don't need anybody. Wow, that's so hot. So there's also like society rewards that kind of person. So it's not their fault. Let's put the blame where it is. However, it is their responsibility. They need to do something in order to change so that they can connect more. And wouldn't it be nice if you felt more connected? So you're going to challenge the avoidant to start opening up. You're going to try to figure out the best ways for them to do it, but you're going to slowly bump them towards that place. Usually when we, we want to put, we want to do it really fast and put like a motor on the back of it so that we can instantly connect. And if you do that, it usually drives them away even more because they get overwhelmed or they feel ashamed or they don't know what to do. So you're kind of treating that avoidant with kid gloves, being really understanding, letting them know that it's safe for them to open up, that they are the way they are because of their parents, but now you're an adult who can change and it's time to grow and be more connected. And if you can open up and be more connected, the there's a world of like possibilities that opens up to you that is so magical and so sweet and so loving. And here's your partner that's like ready to do it. Okay. I feel like some rapid questions before we go that are okay. things that I actually ask people um, on Instagram to mm. just, okay, one person messaged me. I posted a while ago about my next love episode and they were stuck on the Phantom X, like the one that got away. What's your message on A, just like dating when you're stuck on someone and B, just even just being stuck on someone? Like, what do you have to say about that for the person that's struggling? 
I mean, there's different ways to look at it. One of the ways that I look at it is just, you know, the one that got away. It's this sort of like cliche thing that sometimes you want to experience all the cliches in life. Isn't that nice that you have a one that got away? <laughs> there's something like if I were to uh, create a life for myself before I like incarnated onto Earth, I'd check that off as, oh, that's an interesting one to feel. Yeah. And so that's what I say to myself sometimes. And that's kind of helpful. I want to validate that like a lot of us have that person and it's okay, but it's time to let them go. So sometimes there's this, will we find each other again in the future? I don't know. That's not up to you. Maybe the universe will lead you back together, but that's the universe's job. That's not yours. So really let them go because you probably haven't totally let them go. You're also idealizing them and putting them up on a pedestal. You broke up for a reason. You were a bad match for really good reasons. So you know, let's try to remember what that is. Make a list of all the reasons you weren't a good match. Try to remember that you're idealizing this person. Really let them go. and Or, or just know that sometimes you always hold a special place in your heart for somebody, and that's okay too. And another question somebody messaged with was, what are some key questions that you think we should make sure we ask when we're choosing someone as a life partner. So I originally thought their question was around the first date or something like that. Mm -hmm. But this is for, I guess, the people in a relationship that they're making the decisions, which I was just telling, for those of you listening, I was just telling Jeff, that's something that I'm doing is me and my partner are kind of like in that game time. So yeah, what are some important questions to reflect on as you choose someone? Because I feel like everybody has got like a long list of qualities and this and that. Like, what are some big ones? You know, it's the sometimes I want to answer this question, which is there's just one question, and you have to ask yourself just tune in with your intuition and with your gut. Is this person your person? You'll probably get some sort of answer. If you don't get the answer, then just sit with that question, meditate on that question, ask yourself that question every now and then, try to tune in with yourself. And if the answer is yes, this is my person then shut the fuck up. Then yeah. just be with this <laughs> fucking person and stop trying to like look for all the, you know, the magical questions that'll tell you if it's yes or no. Just choose that person and that's it and be done with it instead of being on the fence. You know what I mean? Yeah. The only thing I don't like about that one is some people <laughs> will do a spiritual bypass where they're like, my intuition tells me it's the one. I'm like, how could it be the one if he's cheating on you with 17 people? So, yeah. you know, no judgment, but I guess judgment, you know. No, judgment, then that's not your intuition. That's something yeah. else. That's, that's your pain. anxiety. That's fear. That's codependency. You're being delusional. But it's hard to tell what's your intuition and what's your anxiety. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take a little while to figure out what that is sometimes. Mm, okay. I'm looking if there's any other questions that I wrote down. <laughs> okay. Final question, friends, community, when I think all, anyone listening right now at one point or another, chances are they've had a partner or a dynamic where they're friends or somebody doesn't like the person. I was reading in the Science of Happily Ever After book. Have you read that one, Jeff? Mm -hmm. Like, no, he has incredible research in there. I'm sure he'll mm -hmm. get you going wild on your reels, like so much research. But one of the researches is that your friends are, they know better if you're going to get a divorce than you do because they're neutral parties, neutrally observing. They have no stake outside of your happiness in the game. That felt really interesting. So what would be your suggestion when your parents don't like the person, your friends don't like any of those? 
God, it's hard. I mean, I personally would want my friends to give me really honest feedback, uh, but I have to be in the right place to receive it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So if I'm a friend and I want to give you feedback, then I'm going to ask you first. I'm going to ask for consent to give you challenging feedback. I'm going to say, do you want to know what I honestly think? And do you want challenging feedback from me? I'll give it to you. And then once they consent to it and they're like emotionally able to receive it, then I'll go ahead and give it. I do think that it's probably a good idea if you're about to marry someone or move to this next committed phase of the relationship, you might want to check in with your friends and family to see what they think. Understanding that I think they'll have like really interesting objective views, but they also might have their own agenda. If you're asking a friend who's single and angry and there's no good men in the city, or, then sh- then she's going to be coming from like a different place than somebody else who's just feeling really content in life. You know what I mean? I love that. I do think that tuning in to when you feel like somebody might be projecting their reality onto the mm-hmm. situation is so huge, like almost giving the advice a little cleanse sterilization to say, is this clean? Did this come from a clean spot? What if it did? What if they're like, I really don't like this person for you? There is there is like a therapeutic sort of intervention where sometimes I ask clients to email five of their closest friends who know them best and ask for really honest feedback about something, whether it's the person that. that they're with or what they think is their biggest challenge or how they get in the way or how their friends experience them in the friendship or something. I think it's a good idea to go ahead and email your friends and ask them what they think. And if they all, if the majority of them, if there's a trend going on and they're like, this is not a good person for you, then take that information seriously and maybe also go see a therapist and be like, this is the data I've collected. I can't see it for myself. What is going on? Can you help me see what they're seeing? Wow. I love this so much. I've asked you so many rapid fire questions. We have covered so much. Those of you, I would love for you to tag at Therapy Jeff, follow him and share what you learned from this. Thank you so much for your time. Where can everybody find or get started with you outside of Instagram? You have so much there. What's another? Yeah, in- Instagram and TikTok is where they can find me. You can also find me on YouTube. Just search for Therapy Jeff. You can go to therapyjeff.com. You can also find me on my weekly podcast with my co-host, Sarah, who's also a therapist. It's called This Changes Everything. Love it so much. Thank you again. Yeah, thanks for having me here. Thank you so much for tuning into the U-Turn podcast. And thank you again so much for our sponsors. We are here because of you and to our listeners. Thank you for checking out our sponsors. We always pick people and brands that we trust and we believe in. And just for listening to the show, writing your reviews on the Apple app, and just being willing to make your own U-turns. We'll see you next week. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests. 
like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you wanna learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.